The eighth chapter of Matthew's Gospel is full of miracles by our Lord Jesus. Uh, the chapter opens with the Lord touching a man with leprosy, and immediately the man is cured. Then Matthew tells us of the Lord healing the paralyzed servant of a centurion, and the Lord never even goes to see the servant. Next, Jesus is at Simon Peter's house, and with a touch of his hand, the fever Peter's mother-in-law had left her, and she got up and began to wait on him and the disciples. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he drove out the evil spirits, and also healed all the sick. In verses 23 through 27, the Lord, we read, rebukes winds and waves and calms a storm on a lake. And Matthew closes out his chapter with the Lord Jesus healing two demon-possessed men. Someone has written, it was fitting that the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, should be immediately followed by mighty proofs that the preacher was the Son of God. Those who heard the Sermon on the Mount would be obliged to confess that as none spake such words as this man, so also none did such works. This morning, we are going to look at one of these miracles of our Lord Jesus of Matthew chapter 8. We are going to consider the miracle of our Lord Jesus healing the centurion's servant. We are going to look at it, meaning we are going to take four things from it for our profit and the glory of God. The miracle is found in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. We've had those verses read for us already, so I'll ask you to just open up your Bible and have before you Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13, so that you might follow the points that will be made from this section of God's Word. Once again, open up a Bible to Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. The first thing I want us to take from this miracle is the compassion of our Lord Jesus. A centurion, a commanding Roman officer in charge of a unit of soldiers, through some intermediaries, 
comes to the Lord requesting help for a servant of his. His servant, verse 6 says, is paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Luke goes on to tell us that the servant is sick and about to die. And the Lord, and the Lord Jesus says to the centurion in verse 7, I will go and heal him. First, let's make sure we see in this story the Lord's wonderful mercy and compassion. I will go and heal him. Look with me at the first miracle of Matthew chapter 8. The miracle of a man with leprosy being made well. Let's read some of this story starting at verse 1. Matthew 8 verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out, touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. These first two miracles of Matthew 8 are not stories where we learn that Jesus will heal all of us of all of our diseases. But they are stories where we are to see the heart of Jesus. In reference to the Lord Jesus, we are to learn our Lord Jesus cares about us. He cares about us physically. He cares about us emotionally. He cares about us spiritually. He is concerned. And he stands ready to help us according to his love and wisdom. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. Lord, if you're willing, I am willing. See the compassion of Christ and know that he wants us to come to him with all of our cares and concerns. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. A furious storm comes up and waves sweep over the boat. The disciples become afraid and go to Jesus who is sleeping in the stern. They say to him, Mark 4, verse 38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care 
Have you ever said that to the Lord Jesus? Don't you care that I'm sick? Don't you care that I'm lonely? Don't you care that I'm afraid? Don't you care about a problem in my family? Don't you care? Well, what's the answer to that question? Does Jesus care? Mark 4, verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be still, quiet. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Yes, the Lord, Jesus, cares. He is full of wonderful mercy and compassion. Listen to this quote. The Lord Jesus is very gracious. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is never tired of doing us good. He knows that we are a weak and feeble people in the midst of a weary and troublesome world. He is as ready to bear with us and help us as he was 2,000 years ago. Let's take with us, first of all, from the word of God, the mercy and compassion of our Lord Jesus. Let's take that with us and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares on him. Cast your fears. Cast your worries. Cast your problems. Cast your needs. Cast all your cares on him because he does care for you. The second thing I want us to take from our story is the compassion of the centurion. I've told you, or at least some of you before, that during the time of Christ, if a Roman woman gave birth to a daughter or a sickly son, the father had the right of rejecting the child and letting it die. And in the Roman world, slaves were treated like pieces of used furniture. A, a temperamental master could, in a fit of anger, maim the slave. If a Roman citizen didn't want his slave anymore, he could kill and bury the slave. In our story, we have a slave who is sick and dying. He lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. But what does the Roman centurion, the master, do? Does he kill him? 
bury him and then replace him? No. He goes to Christ and asks the Lord to help his servant. Lord, I know that you can heal him. I know you are able. Will you heal my servant? Notice second, the centurion's compassion. Well, what are we to do with that? I think we're to turn it on ourselves and ask, am I a compassionate person? Now, I don't mean, uh, do you put a few dollars in the Salvation Army kettle at Christmas? I don't mean, do you give your unwanted and outdated clothes to goodwill? But do you really help people in need? Do you really care about them? I, I once read about a man who was uh, compassionate during some riots in Los Angeles. Another man was being beaten by a group of people. He saw it and he ran to the man who was now on the ground. And he threw himself on top of the man and said to the group, if you are going to kill him, you will have to kill me first. You will have to kill me to get to him. Are you a person who really cares about the needs of people? Here are two reasons why we should if we are Christians. One, Christ has been and is being compassionate to us. He has saved us, right? He has taken us from eternal judgment and given us heaven. And he looks out for us every moment of every day. Matthew 10, verse 30. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Because of the compassion we have received and are receiving, we should be compassionate people. I read about a mother who got on an airplane with a number of children. Someone on the plane said it looked like ants on a piece of bread. The mother sat down in her seat and promptly fell asleep with a baby in her arms. A stewardess came, took the baby, and took care of the baby, letting the mother rest. Someone said to the stewardess something to the effect, why are you doing that? That's not your job. That's her problem. 
Why did the stewardess do it? I don't know for sure, of course, but it may very well have been because she has been, has been, has been a recipient of compassion. She has tasted, she has experienced compassion herself. My friends, we live every day in the compassion of Jesus Christ. We are to be compassionate. And then number two, we're to be compassionate because God has given us his love with which to be compassionate. Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Romans 5, 5 not only tells us that God greatly loves us, his children, but it also says to us that God has given us his love for us to love others. He has poured out his love into our hearts for ourselves and for others. The centurion in our story was compassionate. He was, I think, because he had experienced the saving compassion of God. Christ attributes faith to him, great faith, more faith than anyone in all Israel. Verse 10, and because he had the love of God in his heart. Because of our time in God's word, we want to go to God and ask him to help us to be more and more compassionate. He is compassionate to us. He has given us the love with which to love others. Lord God, help me to be what I'm reading here today. Third, third this morning, I want us to look at the faith of the centurion. Uh, faith and love. Faith and love are two tremendous characteristics of a Christian. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints is how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1:15. Let's notice now the centurion's faith. Look once more with me at verses seven, eight, and nine of our text. Once again, uh, look with me at verses seven, eight, and nine of uh, Matthew chapter eight. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve 
to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Our centurion, again, was an officer over a unit of men in the Roman army. In reference to his men, he could say to one, do this, and it would be done. He could say to another, go there, and uh, that would be done. The centurion, in his heart, knew that Jesus also had authority, a far greater authority than he had. Jesus, being the Son of God, could command anything. And so the centurion went to Jesus and said, Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Lord, just speak and it will be. Listen, amazing. In fact, that is what Jesus thought. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. There are only two places in all of the New Testament which use this particular word with respect to Jesus. And this is one of the two. Notice the astonishing faith of the Roman officer. Just speak and it will be. Have you ever struggled to understand biblical faith? I mean, what is faith in Jesus Christ anyway? Well, here, uh, the centurion is a good picture of faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is knowing that he is able, that he has the wherewithal, and resting in that. It is realizing who Jesus is and that he has all authority and letting him take care of things. Knowledge plus trust. The man with leprosy, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Faith is knowing that Christ is able and resting in him. Now, I've already asked you this morning, are you a compassionate person? because of what we're studying. Let me ask you now, because of what we're studying, are you a person of faith in Jesus Christ? Do you honor him? Do you exalt him with trust? Are you able to say with Paul, Galatians 
the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not only do you rest in Jesus for eternal life, but do you rest in him for the other aspects of life as well? Very briefly, here are three things we can do to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll just mention them. One, read the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Two, pray for stronger faith. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And three, fellowship with believers. Bad company corrupts. Good morals, good company strengthens the faith. Before we leave our third point, let me point out that the faith of the Roman officer in our story, I have been taught, was an early indication that God would enable many Gentiles to believe in his son and be saved by him. Even though many of the Jews would reject the Lord Jesus, God would grant the Gentiles repentance and faith. Verses 10, 11, and 12 of Matthew 8. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, that would be the Gentiles, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. That would be the unbelieving Jews, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Are you resting in the Lord Jesus as your savior from sin and as the one who gives you, puts to your account the righteousness you need to be right with God? Will you be at the feast in heaven where we will celebrate the gracious salvation of God? No? Be in the word of God. Call out to God for faith in Christ and come and continue to come with believers. Our last point this morning, I want us to notice the great power of the Lord Jesus in our story. In our story, the servant of a centurion is paralyzed. 
Luke once again tells us that uh, he's about to die. No doubt, doctors had been sought out, uh, medicine had been prescribed, taken, but all was to no avail. The servant continues to suffer unto death. Just a matter of a short period of time. Our Lord, however, is brought into this situation. And he simply speaks. And he simply wills the servant well. And the servant is healed. The Lord doesn't even go to where the servant is to see him, to place his hands on him, to pray over him. He simply wills the servant well, and the servant is healed. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, uh, you go to where your servant is. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. We should also take with us the truth of the great power of the Lord Jesus. You know, if we could only have that power in our lives, I mean, would that not be something? What we could do for Christ, what we could do in reference to our church, what we could become for Christ. Look with me, please, at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. The Apostle Paul is talking about his prayers for the Ephesians here. And he says in verses 18 and 19, that this is part of what he prays when he prays for them. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you see that? Verse 19, Paul is talking about God's power, God's incomparable power, and he tells us that it's for us. That's right. It's ours. I pray that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Ephesians 3.20 now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We're very familiar with those words, are we not? We've used those words at prayer meetings, perhaps. Are you familiar with the rest of the verse? According to his power that is at work within us, we do have Christ's power. 
We don't have to say, my, wouldn't it be something to have it? We do have it. And so the question now is, what will we do with it? What will we do with Christ's power? Will we use it to defeat sin? To take on righteousness? Will we use it to serve him? Will we use it to endure hardship and suffering? Will we use it to improve our marriages, to better our homes, to sanctify our church? We have Christ's power. Will we use it to become more compassionate? Will we use it to have greater faith in him? We need to meditate on this and ask God to change us because of it. Let me just review what we have covered this morning from this miracle of our Lord Jesus. We've covered these truths. Our Lord is full of compassion. Unload your distresses on him. We are to be full of compassion as his people. Uh, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Remember Ephesians? Every day we live in the compassion of Christ. And every day God is able to give us the love for loving others. We are also to exalt the Lord Jesus by believing him, trusting him, resting in him, faith and love, faith and love. And the Lord Jesus has all power. And that power is ours because we are his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how rich your word is, even a story concerning this miracle is able to just fill our minds and our thoughts with truths concerning you and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that the uh, sermon would continue in the sense that uh, you would use it in our lives today, tomorrow, this week, that it would actually, some of it, stay with us on into eternity. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that the power of Christ would take our time in your word and uh, use it to the glory of the triune God. In Jesus' name, amen.